0: this is the hash podcast stay
1: informed with the latest on bitcoin eth the metaverse web3 and more with stories that matter to the crypto world all on the hash for your ears you're listening to the coindesk podcast network hello happy tuesday welcome to the hash it was a wild one out there yesterday the virtual newsroom was up late last night getting some big stories out the door None bigger, I think, than what David Morris is going to start us off with today, talking about the latest drama in UST. David, let's do this thing.
2: Yeah. So anybody who is within 100 miles of paying attention to cryptocurrency saw that yesterday the UST Terra stablecoin, quote unquote, lost its peg to a dollar and dropped as low as in some cases 60 cents. So we saw a, a stablecoin that was supposed to um, retain its value, lose a lot of that value, with a lot of catastrophic and possibly game-changing consequences. The question now, we did have Doquan, the leader of the Terra UST project, tweeting about 20 minutes ago that he has a rescue plan. Remains to be seen what exactly that plan is. But uh, maybe Will could take us through a little bit of the basics of why this happened as a, as a trading familiar person.
3: Yeah, trading guru. That's me. This is a pretty intricate conversation. And it's one that I think people are going to pull out uh, the next few weeks, kind of dig through some certain threads about it. The main thing here is that the product they're building really was a financial primitive. This is not something that anyone has successfully done in the past. And now we're saying that they weren't able to do it either, right? So USDT, or UST is an algorithmic stable coin. It uses another coin called Luna to balance a peg to the US dollar for the main token. And when these tokens, they have a floating peg on one side and then one peg is to the United States dollar. They're supposed to interact with each other and that peg is supposed to, to stay hold to the dollar. Unfortunately, there's like this not so virtuous cycle where if one starts selling, the other will start selling. If one starts pumping, the other one can start pumping. And yesterday we saw the sell effect, right? So Luna started falling and the token UST started falling as well and it seems like there were some other people out there who are also shorting UST trying to make the peg break. They're continuing to sell this token over and over again in large markets. So the Luna Foundation Guard, which is basically a centralized organization that main goal was to prop up USD, the stablecoin. it started selling its Bitcoin reserves into the open market to buy USD to combat these large sell orders. That didn't seem to work. They sold about $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. Looks like they purchased some more. And it still wasn't really able to uphold the peg. The peg fell as far as 63 or 64 cents. It's back up into the 75 cent range. That's a broken coin. That's a broken stable coin. And now the LFG does not have very much Bitcoin to its name and has a huge community with a lot of broken trust.
2: When you say people are trying to break the peg, kind of right, kind of not. The situation is that people can actually make money by breaking the peg. And that's why this is a dangerous and self-perpetuating cycle. It's not just that Somebody has some personal animus to Do Kwan or doesn't like Terra. This is an opportunity for people to make money, and as long as that opportunity still exists, these attacks will continue. The second thing I want to just nail down is the idea of an algorithmic stablecoin and why that's so important and why people do want this to succeed. Which is that if you have a truly decentralized token that has a constant value, that opens up a lot of potential cross-border applications and other things. And so there is a lot of drive for this, but it doesn't look like uh, it has worked this time. And I think I and a few other people would agree that it is a, an impossible dream.
0: This article made me kind of think down the legal rabbit hole and I think we're going to get there a little bit later on in, in the segment. But reading the story, why should anyone who's not a crypto trader care about this?
2: I have an answer for that, which is that on a protocol called Anchor inside the Luna system, you can earn 20% annual percentage rate yield. That is the reason anybody would ever want to use this. It is As far as I can tell, the main reason anybody did want to use this and the anchor protocol lost about 5 to $7 billion of capital in a day yesterday. So that happened. Just to be clear, all of that 20% is coming from somewhere else. It is being pumped in by a third party. And Zach sounds like he has something to say about that.
1: I mean, I'll zoom out even further and just remove it from the world of numbers and just say, these are fragile interconnected systems especially when we're talking about algorithmic stable coins and this dream of a decentralized dollar peg asset these are hard problems to solve and this one missed the mark pretty spectacularly when you're talking about a stable coin that's supposed to maintain a dollar peg dipping to something like 65 cents i think still it's around 92 93 that's really bad for a stable coin to be floating around those lows so if you zoom out and you think about web3 crypto blockchain as an attempt to rebuild the financial system in a way, hopefully, in its end state, is more equitable and accessible to all. This is a great example of a pretty catastrophic failure. We're going to see if Luna and Terra can regain a little bit of trust. We're going to see what this plan looks like that was teased by Terraform Labs founder Do Kwon. There's a lot of excitement around that tweet. We'll see what it looks like. What kind of bailout we might be talking about here, and who are the actors that step up? So it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like. But again, in the world of assembling these planes while they're in flight, sometimes things go wrong. And yesterday was a really remarkable scenario in which people the world over were looking at their screens, refreshing, 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 and seeing if this asset could find its footing. That to me is the big picture here. But I'll toss it down to Will. Yeah, one point I want to bring up is that a lot of people have predicted
3: this for quite a while. So we've seen a lot of these algorithmic stable coins. Last year, there was a ton of them. Uh, yeah, David Morris might be one person who called this before it happened. But some other protocols out there were basically canary in the cold mine situation. Faye protocol is probably the most important one from last year in Ethereum stablecoin. Raised a bunch of money to create an algorithmic stablecoin, catastrophically failed. Uh, the team is still around building a new project. I'm not very familiar with what they're doing. But the important part there is that they tried to build an algorithmic stablecoin using the same functions that basically Terra Luna is using, and it didn't work, right? And now we're seeing that this project is dragging. The rest of the crypto ecosystem into the mud on a few different levels. We'll get to the regulatory side in a second. But for Bitcoin right now, we see that they sold $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin into the open market. That caused a huge crash in Bitcoin's price, about 15% yesterday, and has really pushed Bitcoin into a tough spot right now. A tough spot when a lot of other markets have already been shoving Bitcoin down, right? So if you look at equities markets over the last 90 days since the start of the year, They've been bad. It's been a bad place to be in equities, a bad place to be a tech stock. Bitcoin has actually done pretty well. It's only down about 5% versus like Nasdaq, I believe. Now it's doing even worse because of what Terra has done by selling all this Bitcoin to the open market. A lot of Bitcoin proponents out there, like Adam Back, CEO of Blockstream, called this out weeks ago and said, What is this guy up to? He's going to hurt the market when this perpetual motion machine ends up breaking. And that's what happened yesterday. And that's why it's so fascinating. We've seen almost different sides of the crypto ecosystem come out for and against this, and then it ended up happening one way or the other. Zach, I think I saw your hand go up, so I'll throw it back up to you.
1: I wanted to really home in on the, what's the cause and what's the effect, right? We know that the crypto markets as a whole are broadly linked to the rise and fall of Bitcoin itself. So, and I'm going to toss this to David, maybe he has a clear articulation of this, is what happened as Bitcoin started to fall and Luna started to fall as well. Therefore, it broke the fundamental physics of how UST worked. Was this like a response to Bitcoin's already falling fortunes in the wake of some broader macroeconomic trends?
2: I mean, that is definitely some like multivariable calculus that I'm not able to do live on the air. But I think basically the answer is no, because the BTC reserves that Luna has in the LFG were not formally integrated into the system. And so that's another thing to keep in mind here with stablecoins and algos in, in general is that as soon as you have an algorithm that is a set of rules according to which the price of something is going to change relative to somebody else, somebody will find a way to exploit that and will learn how to position themselves to profit from the way you've set up your system. And this is definitely what happened here. And frankly, even once they get Bitcoin into that reserve, if that ever comes to fruition, somebody will figure out how to game that too. And I want to make one last point because I think this is an important opportunity to put in a plug for journalism and for critical thinking about these things, because everybody who's losing money today really needs to think about how they got there. And there have been warnings. There have been critical analysis. There have been people looking very hard at this for a long time. That's our job. That's a service that we do for you to try and prevent things like this from happening. So when Luna dumps $3 billion worth of Bitcoin and you lose money, don't look at us, I guess is what I'm saying. If I'm feeling a little bit like a victory dance right now, yes, that is what this is. This is vindication. David,
0: don't rub it in people's faces.
2: We were right. We were right. It's <laughs> not think think over yet. Doquan's coming <laughs> back.
3: Yeah, let's move over to the regulatory landscape, which I think is probably the most important outcome of this whole bit. We have a quick video from Janet Yellen, who is speaking with the Senate Banking Committee this morning. So let's take a look at that first.
0: I would note that there was a report just this morning um, in the Wall Street Journal that a stable coin known as T- Terra USD. Um, Experienced a run and had declined in value, and um, well, so it, I, I think that simply illustrates that this is a rapidly growing uh, product, and um, that there there are risks to financial stability, and we need a framework that's that's appropriate.
3: That's a tough thing to hear for a cryptocurrency enthusiasts. Janet Yellen speaking again in front of the Senate Banking Committee this morning. I think she put it pretty mildly, right? A, there was a run on a stable coin. I think there's a little bit more than a run on a stable coin. At one point, Luna's worth forty billion dollars. Its market cap is well below at this point, and the peg has not returned. Zach, can I throw it down to you for your take on this?
1: Well, that escalated quickly going from UST on crypto Twitter right up to Capitol Hill with mm-hmm. Janet Yellen. That's pretty crazy that uh, she has some a non-burner crypto Twitter account that is plugged into these conversations. So credit to her for being up on the news. It's interesting and it suggests that people are paying attention to this stuff. I think if you look at this story, it's really interesting. There's an interesting exchange captured by regulatory reporter Jesse Hamilton in which one of the senators, I believe it was Toomey me in Pennsylvania. It was he was true. like, hey, wait a minute. This is an algorithmic stablecoin. We need to make this distinction. So these conversations are happening in the halls of Congress about what is an asset-backed stablecoin, what is an algorithmic stablecoin. I think the fear among a lot of people in the crypto space is that it's just going to be painted with one big, broad brush, and the blowback is going to be bad. But you have at least one person here saying, but wait, not all stablecoins. This is an algorithmic stablecoin. And the fact that that level of conversation is happening in this venue, very striking, interesting data point about 2022. Pat Toomey is retiring, so the conversation might go downhill from
0: here. I didn't realize he was retiring. That's exactly where I went when I was thinking about what's going to happen in the regulatory landscape. It was, are all these stable coins going to be brushed with the same paintbrush? I zeroed in on a part in the last article we were discussing. It said a USD collapse would send ripples through the entire DeFi industry and will sound alarm bells for regulators who notice retail investors holding this bag. So I think this just adds another complexity to how the Fed and regulators are going to look at this. Moving forward, and that was kind of solidified what Janet Yellen said in this article. I worry because, will like you said at the beginning of our last segment, this is the first time anything like this has been done. And when we see failures like this, when we see investors losing, it becomes overregulated, and and we can't really make any advancements in the space. And so that is my worry. Having proponents like Senator Pat Toomey around, hopefully there are other senators who can fly the crypto flag once he retires are so important, you know, we need to see things from both sides. And I hope that this just doesn't fall into the same basket of products that are being overburdened by regulators. But I think I saw two hands go up.
3: Yeah, I'll take a quick comment because I actually want to get David's thoughts on this. So I I do actually like what Terra was trying to do. They're trying to create a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin that's decentralized in nature. And that's actually a a good thing for the greater crypto economy. If you look at Bitcoin, it's more turned into a store of value. And it's really just used as like wealth preservation savings. A lot of people don't want to spend their Bitcoin. And a lot of people want to use a cryptocurrency that exists on crypto rails, but is pegged to a, a local currency like the dollar. And so I think it's like a notable project. It just didn't work, right? It didn't work at the same time while the founder and everyone in his camp were really pissing a lot of people off and being pretty terrible to a lot of people. And so they're not getting a lot of patience from anyone afterwards after this has gone belly up, especially since the economics, the tokenomics of this look more like ponzi than they did look like actual tokenomics. So I, I do think that there needs to be some sort of conversation around like, is this project worth pursuing in another way going forward? Should Bitcoin prioritize some sort of stablecoin built on top of it that can enable you to spend Bitcoin using a dollar as a vehicle? David, I'd be curious to get your take, but let you respond however.
2: I was actually mostly responding to the, the worries about Yellen and how you can kind of mistake the part for the whole, right? And I think that this does bring us back to the question of criticism, of we get a lot of people saying, uh, oh, you're just fudding. And by the way, Both somebody saying FUD and the kind of behavior that Doquan and his team have displayed over the past couple of years, write those down for future reference because those are red flags for people who don't have your best interests at heart. If somebody is combative and bullying, frankly, they're hiding something most of the time. And so I think that the ecosystem concern here is that when you have somebody who is building something that is this fragile, yes, and then it fails, it will be mistaken for the way things are done in the entire industry. And so when you're looking as somebody who is a fan of crypto at a project like this and you see bad things, you need to speak out, say something. And that will ultimately help us avoid over-regulation. If we're doing self-regulation in a way that works, uh, then we can actually get people to push back on, on the regulation. People like Toomey will have more ammunition if we're not out here losing people billions of dollars.
1: Zach? I wanted to drift briefly on Will's thing. I mean, some project that is looking kind of good in the wake of this is, is MakerDAO, DAI, right? An over-collateralized uh, stablecoin, not an algorithmic stablecoin, but not backed by dollars per se, but backed by crypto assets that are committed to a smart contract, I think at a three to one ratio, or at least that was what it was when it, when it started, right? So there's still a lot of regulatory questions around that approach, but that's a project that has been resilient, you know, survived a, a near black swan event Back in march 2020 and still chugs on pretty close to the peg after all these years shout out to MakerDown. all right we're going to talk about more doom and gloom
0: so amongst bitcoin's dip michael Saylor suggests that microstrategy is never going to sell its bitcoin so the founder and ceo took to twitter and said that microstrategy has a 205 million dollar term loan and needs to maintain 410 million as collateral he said that Bitcoin would need to fall all the way to around $3,500 before the company is going to run out of crypto to pledge for the loan. So all of this, while MicroStrategy's stock has fallen 24% to its lowest levels in 2020, an outgoing CFO suggested on a call recently, I believe it was last week, that if Bitcoin falls below $21,000, the company will be met with a margin call from one of its loans. David, I'm going to pass this one down to you. What do you think of Sailor's comments on Twitter as MicroStrategy just really, I mean, we say this every week, has become a proxy stock for Bitcoin?
2: I'm not a big fan of Sailors strategy from a corporate perspective. I don't think using your balance sheet to buy a bunch of Bitcoin is like, I don't know if that makes you a successful company, even if Bitcoin is successful and it looks good on paper. But I will say, I don't hate his position here. You know, I think that when you get in the weeds and you really know this stuff, Bitcoin is different and it's not subject to all of the same forces that are drawing down something like Luna or even frankly, most of the same forces. He, I think has been pretty clear from the beginning that he's a maxi and he's a hodler. That includes going through stuff like this. And honestly, if you're selling right now, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. If you're selling Bitcoin or even Ethereum at this point, like you got to have a strategy because otherwise you're just panic selling. If he's committed to it, then he's committed to it. And certainly he's got a, a big chunk that if he made a small move, that would be worse than nothing. So anyway, I, I'm not in love with Michael Saylor and his company, but you know, in terms of just investment strategy overall, I think he's on flying ground here.
3: Will? Yeah, I'll pick it up really quick. I'm interested in the other companies that are also holding Bitcoin right now. MicroStrategy, I'm not too worried about unless Bitcoin's price goes down a lot. They definitely have made some aggressive moves in terms of uh, converting like senior notes into Bitcoin or doing other things like issuing stock just to buy more Bitcoin. But for the most part, it looks like they've done it in like a way that resembles reality and it resembles the way that Bitcoin has acted in the past. So I'm not super worried about it. They have a lot of Bitcoin as collateral. And Bitcoin hitting $3,500 per coin, that would be a catastrophic wipeout. Always within the realm of possibilities with Bitcoin. That's just the market we operate in. But to see something like that happen, I think everyone would be worried about their own charts. And that's a worried about Michael Saylor's. I do worry, however, about things like Block, formerly Square, Tesla, these other companies that have bought a lot of Bitcoin and are sitting on it in their balance sheet. David, to your point... I think they would not sell it at this point. I think that those CFOs and their teams or finance teams have looked at Bitcoin, have looked at the history of the coin, said like it's pretty typical to have these large drawdowns, but over a five, 10-year period, we're going to do okay. And that's why they purchased it. But I do think you could see a few companies that have weak hands sell off. This happened last year in 2021, where going Bitcoin through corporate treasury became like the de facto move. There was a few companies who couldn't stomach the June headwinds in June 2021 when Bitcoin's price also toppled after the Chinese Bitcoin mining ban. They sold Bitcoin off and they didn't look back. And some of them made a profit, some of them didn't make a profit, but it really just comes down to, are you you know, weekended, paper hands, or are you diamond hands in this situation? And I think for the most part, I'm sitting in a position and thinking most people are going to be comfortable with where they're at unless there is a significant margin loan call and then they'll just have to sell off possibly a little bit.
1: Zach, curious to get your take on this though. Yeah, I don't know what my exact take is, but there's something about like maximalism that puts you into an ideological corner, right? He's there sort of back against the corner here and he's saying, okay, this is my one note and I'm going to sound it again. I'm riding this out. And at some level, I respect that. At others, I'm like, is that smart? I don't get it. Like, shouldn't you be able to adapt? Should things change? But like, the rule of conviction is that you got to hold strong, you got to be a diamond hand can't be a yeah. weak paper hander. And so this is what we see, these proclamations and credit to him for riding it out. But I don't know what my initial thoughts are on that. But David, I see you thinking.
2: Uh, well, I'll, I'll toss it to Jen in a sec, but I just want to make spell out one thing that you're, you're getting at there, which is it's very useful if you're thinking about investing, whether you're a corporation or whatever. Are you thinking of yourself as an investor or as a trader? And A, if you're a trader, you better really know what you're doing And be experienced in the market because your timing is everything. And if you miss like two days in the market a year, you're losing like 50% of your alpha. Like being a trader is extremely dangerous and you got to be careful. Being an investor is a little bit easier, but you have to have a thesis, you have to have that faith, and you have to be able to spell it out. And then the worst thing I think, which, Will, you were talking about a little bit with these companies who, you know, maybe they went in as investors and then they got scared and they became traders at the exact worst possible moment, which is, When the market is rocky, if you're doing that mental switch from being an investor to a trader at dark times, you were never an investor in the first place. And so you got to think about those two different
1: approaches. We'll change gears a little (laughs) bit. We will probe the fraught realm of crypto pseudonymity. Those are some big words, but that's Mm. what we're talking about today. We're talking in the specifics about the Azuki NFT project and a founder who came out yesterday on Twitter and he said, Hey, I've ditched some projects in my past. I hope I learned from them and I'm moving forward. Well, people weren't really feeling that. They were like, <laughs> okay, this is someone who has ditched projects in the past and I'm worried about the future of this project. Better start selling. And accordingly, the price floor of the Azuki's took a wee tumble. So anyway, that's the particulars. I think the big idea here is, is pseudonymity a feature or a bug of the crypto space? We keep seeing these little episodes come out where you know people's real names, people's real past come out. And there's a bit of a a crisis of confidence uh, among these communities. So it's interesting to see this unfold time and again, whether it's Michael Patron or the founder here of the Azuki NFT project. All right, I'm tossing this to Will. I saw his hand up. Go.
3: Yeah, I think pseudonymity is really important conversation with crypto, but it also just comes back to history, right? So like pseudonymity is one thing, but typically you have like a chain of events attached to pseudonym and at a certain point doesn't really matter. Uh, If you're anonymous or not, just because people know your history. So Andre Cronje was one person that really came to mind when looking at this conversation, just because he's been in the DeFi space for so long. He's come in, he's come out, he's built great projects, he's burnt out on great projects, he's burnt out a lot of people. And he's not anonymous, like people know who he is, where he lives, what he's up to, for the most part, like he's a little more private than a lot of people in the crypto space. But for the most part, basically know what he's up to. And a lot of people do not like him right now and do not like the pivot he's made over the last few months. And I think it just comes down to your history, right? Are you making poor choices over and over again? And are you redeeming yourself at all or are you just digging in your heels and going further into it? And when it comes down to it, crypto is community money, right? I'm going to make money with everyone else because we're part of this community. And whether you're inside or outside the community does matter. It's only people inside the community are going to make money. It's a very aggressive game against other people. So you want the person at the lead in the head of that position to be someone you trust, to be someone who hasn't bailed on other projects that have failed. I mean, just looking at this guy's projects, a few NFTs and then Tendies, which is a token project, unless it's a other NFT project I've ever heard of. But Tendies was a, a coin from back in 2020 that uh, I definitely bought into and got burnt on pretty funny. Yeah, t- I had to buy it. It was like tokenized chicken tenders and it went to zero, of course, <laughs> but- this, the story remains like you can't just keep dipping on projects, especially for crypto coins, because you need to be around for the long term. We've only seen a few projects where people have dipped out and it's done well. Bitcoin being the first and that's because the guy left. Satoshi never reappeared. Thing maker Dao is maybe another instance of that with Rune. He's come back in a few times, but he's done it in a way that has like been pretty good. There's definitely been some ruffled feathers, but for the most part, the project has been decentralized enough where he wasn't able to like really hurt it or help it too much one way or the other. And projects with NFTs where everything's anonymous and there's just a token and a floor price in these in these art projects, whatever, you're going to see some pains and ruffled feathers. Jen, I'll throw it over to you for your
1: take.
0: Yeah, so many of these NFT projects, you're really buying in on a JPEG and a dream, right? And when people ask me, like, should, should I buy this NFT? I do tell them, you know, look at the founding team. And I totally agree with you, Will. Whether you're doxed or pseudonymous, pseud- I can never say the word pseudonymous. <laughs> that's <a> tough one. <laughs> you pseudonymous. There should be a track record. And I think there's an important differentiation between failure and abandonment. There are NFT projects that fail and people who have bought into the project get their money back. And that's okay. That-, that contributes to the track record. But projects being abandoned and people losing their money is bad. And so if you are thinking about buying an NFT, Getting involved in a project, you want to make sure you trust that the team can deliver on all of the milestones that they've laid out, right? If you don't love that JPEG and you're not going to show it in your home and make it your PFP photo, then you need to be able to trust that they're going to deliver on these goals. And this is, I think, a really new thing when it comes to operating online and operating in life in general. But David, I'll pass it up to you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit most of my highlights, but so I'll just reiterate the most important one, which is that. Whether it's your real name or a pseudonym, your name is your name. And that has immense value that is only increasing over time in this space. I mean, we had a couple of years where you could just pop up out of nowhere, say I'm minting some NFTs and make a couple million dollars. And, and that might still go on for a couple more years. You know, People who have been bad actors in the past, in you know whether it's 2018 or today, uh, are going to be losing out on huge opportunities three, four, six, 10 years from now. That million dollars that you took when you rugged an NFT uh, in 2019 is going to start look very expensive when you're boxed out of the entire crypto industry for the next decade. So
1: watch your reputation, folks. It matters. A JPEG and a Dream, the NFT boom would be an amazing book title. Jen, just get that contract. Go out there.
0: All right, let's do it. We can write it together.
1: Should be fun. (laughs) Great show today, guys. Uh, I'm Zach Seward. We have David Morris. We have Jensen Asset. We have Will Foxley. We are the hash. We hope you had a good day. Thanks for watching us or listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network, where you can have a little bit of hash for your years. And we hope to do it again tomorrow. So yeah, we'll see you there. Same place, same time. Thanks. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.